Last week we started a new series called Heroes. And I know straight away lots of us think about Batman, Spider-Man. If we weren't, we certainly are now. We think about Wonder Woman. We think about Thor. He's my favourite. And all sorts of others. Is Flash Gordon, could he be classed as a superhero? I don't think so. Flash! Whoever watched Flash Gordon? Yeah, thank you very much. But I'm not talking about those sorts of heroes. We're talking about biblical heroes. And the idea, I want to set it in your mind, is this. That you get to do from a couch to 5K with a superhero from the Bible. Some great man, woman, boy, girl in the Bible, in Scripture, who really inspires us. And of course, there are so many. And I've tried to go for one this week that I think is a little bit under the radar because, you know, there's so many greats. Jesus, yeah, full, full house, yeah, like top trumps, isn't it? Uh, top trumps. Um, King David, I, wow, I mean, there's just so many. Last week we looked at, who do we look at last week? Esther. And I, I thought Angela last week was just brilliant. In fact, they've kick-started this series at their church this week. Um, but I want to look at someone that we find in Judges this week. So there could be a few of them, uh, but judges. But before we do, last week Angela asked this question for the, to those who were here, and she kind of paused this screen, this image, and she let it hang there for a while. And she was kind of asking us to, to look at this long and hard, and to see who we see in it, what does it say to us. I've got a bunch of words on the screen that I want you to look at in just a moment. Just a moment! Trigger happy at the back. And, uh, but let's do it. So, um, pick three of those words. Now, I know there could be loads more that, that describe you. It, pick three, three honestly, that probably describe you this morning. Not how you want to be, but be honest this morning. Three that are you. And I'm going to ask for some brave volunteers to share one or two of those. Not all of them, don't worry. Take a few moments. Which three words best describe you? Would you say? See, some of us have been really honest with ourselves. So, to those who are giggling, I'm coming to you in just a moment. <laughs> okay, you got a long, hard look at those? Are you happy with the three words that you've selected? Or are you kind of thinking, oh, do you know what? I might just swap that for a cheeky something else. All right, three words. Uh, One word. Loyal. Brilliant. Craig? Uh, A fighter. Brilliant. Anybody else? Who else giggled? Matty? Grumpy. (laughs) What was that? Fearless. Teresa? (laughs) <laughs> this isn't about each other, see, look at that, hey. That's the Holy Spirit, Teresa. Joseph? There's, no, there's a grumpy. Grumpy, in the middle. <laughs> there's also a blind on there. <laughs> Anybody else? Let's go this side a little bit. Yeah. Reflective. Are you sure you're reflective? You want to think about it a bit more? <laughs> Great, reflective. Uh, Matt? 
Brilliant, yeah. Enthusiastic. Uh, George? Tired. <laughs> okay, that's enough. I know we're all looking long and hard at those. And there's, there's a lot more to us. Thank you. There's a lot more to us that... Um, than on that screen. I totally get that. It's just a few to get us started. The reason I'm looking at that is because the person we're looking at today is Gideon. And uh, Gideon, we know from the encounter in the Old Testament in Judges, and we're going to look through the scripture in a few moments. Uh, he's met by an angel of the Lord. And I love these stories because I often think, what would it be like? Imagine. And Gideon actually almost doesn't believe that he's talking to an angel. So he begins to talk through something which is quite interesting, we'll, we'll get to it in just a second. But the angel says some stuff to Gideon that declares God's view on his life. But we know from Gideon, as we read through the story, that Gideon isn't a trumped up warrior who thinks he can conquer everybody. He's actually very humble, probably quite an insecure individual by his response to the angel. But it's interesting what God thought of Gideon, but I'm guessing he wouldn't have selected the same words as God for his own life. So this is the journey that we're going to go on today. And probably, if we're honest with ourselves, something at different periods in our lives that we have to be, just be honest with ourselves about. This is who I am. That's who I'd like to be. But actually, God, I realize that I'm messed up, that I'm sometimes inadequate, that sometimes I'm, I'm grumpy. All the times I am a, a, a sinful person. I, I'm, I'm fractured, but actually, as I come into your presence... I get to know your thoughts about me. And as you declare your thoughts about me, as I, as I absorb those as truths, I, I begin to be a healed person. I'm wholesome. Is that making sense to anybody? And there's moments, isn't there, where you feel like, actually, I feel fantastic. I feel like, you know, I am connected to myself. I feel emotionally, physically, spiritually healthy. And then there's other times, you look at ourselves in the mirror and you think, man, I'm all over the place. You know, who am I? Or where does that stuff come from? And it's part of the journey that I want to get us to today. So like any good superhero movie, the story of Gideon begins with a humble guy who has uh, probably uh, just major flaws. And actually God looks at him and says, I'm going to use you for a great purpose. Judges 6 introduces Gideon working chores on his dad's vineyard or farm. The Bible tells us that he was hiding his crops for the Midianites. You can almost imagine this Hollywood movie. The, the camera pans in. This is my mind going over time. Enthusiastic is probably a word for me as well. So this camera pans in duh, 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 over this desert and it kind of zooms into this guy stashing something in this, in this kind of building. And you're like, what's he doing? It next flashes to this horde of chariots. Actually, the Bible says it's camels. This horde of camels kind of just galloping across the desert and you're putting two and two together right and you're thinking they are after him and you see him kind of frantically trying to like store all these things and he's hiding things it's in the in the in the barn uh, under the hair under his mattress uh, down the donkey's throat I mean he's literally putting things everywhere these guys are closing in and of course there's good theme music like bum 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 and this is where this, in my mind, as I read the story this morning, this is what I was thinking. This is how we're introduced to the story of Gideon. So we know the backdrop is this guy, this guy's people are oppressed. There's clearly pillaging going on. There, uh, there's, there's murder, there's theft. Uh, these, these guys, these raiders, as we know, the Midianites, they're coming in to once again take possessions from the Israelites. 
But the story kind of goes in micro and tells us about Gideon and Gideon's response to this. So Judges 6, verse 11, is the beginning of this story. Hopefully I've given you enough uh, to kind of go with. Actually, what I love about the story of Gideon is it's only over 6, 7, 8. It's only over 2 or 3 chapters that we get to hear about this guy's life. But actually, what a guy. The things that he sees, the things that God does, it's unbelievable. So Judges 6, verse 11. Put your eyes to the screen if you haven't got your Bibles. Uh, By the way, every time I mention the word Midianites, you're going to go boo, alright? You're going to go boo, alright? So Midianites, brilliant. Then the angel of the Lord, Midianites, doesn't even say that. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, what belonged to Joash, uh, uh, which was Gideon's father of the clan of Abizah. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grapes from the Midianites. Remember that scene? They're charging on the camels and they're about to take everything that's his. Then the angel of the Lord appeared. In my mind, the screen pauses. The camels are like static for a few moments and this conversation continues. And he says this to Gideon, which is really interesting. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, at first value, you might think, is this guy a warrior? Is he carrying a double sword? You know, has he got an army behind him? Like, he must be double hard, six-pack, massive muscles. Wow. But actually, as the story goes on, you begin to think, does God have a sense of humor? Because clearly, this guy is not a mighty hero. So why does the angel of the Lord, who's acting on God's behalf, say that to somebody? I mean, imagine, Carson, you're in front of your mirror, and suddenly there's a voice saying, Mighty hero, looking ripped today. You are going to lead the USA to glory. You'd be like, me, lad? Really? <laughs> I mean, you know, just imagine ourselves in that situation. And actually, there's a real bit of humility that comes from it. And last week, Ange asked you to take an honest look at yourself. She said, how do you view yourself how do you view yourself? Uh, you know, how do we, we kind of look at ourselves? Do, do we think, God, I know the truth that you've put in me. I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, that you've got great plans for me, that I feel at peace. And, you know, like we, we lead from that point in our lives. Or quite often do we think, I wish I had more. I wish I acted differently. You know, if we look at um, Pinterest, you know, your life can feel inadequate. Anybody ever use Pinterest? And suddenly, you know, you'll put in the hashtag kitchen. Oh, my kitchen's grotty compared to that. You know, you type in children. You know, my kids look like they're orphans compared to, the, you know, Pinterest children. You know, my, my house, my car, you know, my, my looks, everything, it's in comparison. But actually, as we begin to understand and know God's promises for us, we lead a life from that which is full of security. So God, or the angel of the Lord, says to Gideon, mighty man, mighty warrior. And suddenly we realize, fast forwarding, what God's about to do with this individual. But in the moment, my guess is, he was thinking, me? Seriously? So we think about the Midianites. Oh, guys, come on, wake up. You had one job, one job. (laughs) Some of us at the back are just catching up. We're going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning saying, boo. 
But, uh, so we know from the, from the narrative with the Midianites, brilliant, that um, the people were oppressed. So actually, the angel of the Lord, let's just focus on this for a moment. He says, doesn't he, mighty man, mighty warrior. My guess is, my guess is Gideon, as he's been on the farm doing his dad's stuff, that he's probably fantasized, he's daydreamed on this moment for a while, that actually you know, the camels would come, he would have a double sword, and there by himself he'd take them all down with some sweetheart watching from, from afar, thinking, you are my hero. Craig, you've thought about it, don't tell me you haven't. You know, you're a warrior, that's what you said, you're a fighter. This idea, I'm guessing he's pictured it. Who's ever pictured themselves like kicking major butt? Be honest. Or winning an argument. If I could replay that in my mind, I would tell her what for. And now I thought about it. I mean, I would undress her. She'd like feel embarrassed. You know, I mean, verbally embarrassed. Um, or him. You know, like literally they would feel like this big. And we go through it, don't we? We go through to inflate ourselves. And actually, my guess is God's called this out of him. Because he knows that to his core, Gideon, although he's not a mighty warrior... That in him, he wants to do something. He senses an injustice. He knows it's been wrong. He wants to speak for his people, but of course, he can't. So he'd role-played it a hundred times in his mind. Was he a bloodthirsty warrior? No. Because when we read on, it tells us, check this out. Verse 13, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, so actually, he doesn't even address this truth that God's given him. He harks back to how God's abandoned his people. Check this out. If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of the miracles our ancestors told us about? Remember, he's thinking about uh, fleeing from Egypt, the promised land. He's thinking about all of this. Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Yes. You know, like when you speak to somebody and, uh, and they always hark back to the something, whether it's politics or uh, an injustice or whatever, it's like the theme of the life. It's interesting how when the Lord appears, or an angel of the Lord, well actually, interestingly, um, as we read on, Gideon refers to him as the Lord. But as we read on, it's interesting that, um, that Gideon didn't say, okay, thank you, I accept that for my life, amazing, let's talk about plans going forward. He's like, whoa! Stop the bus a second. Let's go back to where you've been. Like, I just want to get this right. You know, where have you been? You've left us to it. Um, actually, you need to answer for yourself. Gideon has clearly been stewing on the injustice. So I wonder, did his call come from his concern? I think it did. Because it wasn't like this, this destiny thing just hit him in the, in, in the head all of a sudden. He's obviously been thinking about this for a long time. He's been thinking about it so much that when an angel appears to him, he has to call it out before he acknowledges the future. And I wonder about us in our superhero costumes. You know, sometimes we say to ourselves, God, what have you got in store for my life? But actually, what are the things that we're thinking about? What are the things that God's motivated us to be emotionally connected to? What are the things that if we had a conversation with him, we want to bring to him, bring to his attention? And perhaps for some of us, we can quickly answer that. We're involved in projects. We have dreams. We, we know our ministry. Perhaps we serve and we feel fulfilled through that. But for others, perhaps we're still flapping about in the shallows of life a little bit, trying to work out who we are, what we're about, and where we're going. Gideon didn't have the answer, did he? 
His response wasn't, let's do this. Let's get the horses. Let's rally the troops. God, you've got to answer something in my life first. He had some healing to go through. 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, notice this is the Lord, not the angel of the Lord. Go with strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. Thank you. I'm surely sending you. I am surely sending you. But, Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the last and the least. Just said least. Mine said last. I can prove it. (laughs) It means the same thing, right? In my entire family. Isn't that interesting? And actually what we know, looking back in hindsight, is that that's the very thing that just qualified him. It's a thing because he is the last and the least. That's qualified him. We know that's God's story, don't we? God uses the weak and he raises them up. Because actually, if he went for the rippling six-pack and the massive muscles and the 12-foot bloke, you know, that wouldn't be attributed to the Lord's victory. But if he uses the weakest of the weak, only the Lord can do the miracle. So are you stood in front of the mirror of your life today thinking actually two of them are pretty alright out of those answers. The third one, oh I wish that wasn't, I was, I wasn't a part of me. Actually the good news is God can use our weakness to do incredible things. Isn't that the whole story of the gospel? Jesus died and when he died he rose again. Hooray! And as he rose again it says I can take the, the fragile pieces of your life, the bits that people think are broken And I can bring healing. And watch what that healing can do. You can be a trophy of grace. You can be on display for me. As people look at your life, they think, man, I swear she used to be like angry or grumpy or, you know, just, just, you know, not a people person or just after money. But actually, they they seem to be really happy now. They've got a real zeal for life. Wow. God's done something in, in their life. It's the very thing that qualified him, which is so interesting. It's almost a real laugh out loud moment, isn't it? As I read it this morning, I was like, isn't that brilliant? God, you take the weakest. So we know that Gideon wasn't the mighty, confident type. He sets the angel a challenge because he wasn't confident in himself. And he says to the angel, prove it. And I want to fast forward just a couple of chapters. I'm going to just quickly tell us what happens. Is it, uh, is it, he pretty much says to the angel, prove it. The angel, guess what? Proves it. And, uh, and then Gideon's right, okay, let's do it. And then Gideon kind of begins to rally people to him. God answers a call and he stirs people. And he, he gathers thousands of troops to fight against the enemy. To go against the oppressor. But then guess what? Gideon also says, uh, just after the battle, Okay, I know you've done that. The next bit, phase two. Guess what, guess what God? Can you prove it again? So he tests the Lord again. With troops, and God says, in a nutshell, uh, there's going to be all your troops going to the water. There's thousands of them. I'm going to whittle those guys down to just how many? 300. 300 troops. You're going to use those 300 to slaughter thousands. Uh, so suddenly, Gideon's thinking, panic stations, like, oh no, this isn't going to work. But again, it's about the weak and God using it to say, this is what I'm doing, not what you're doing. Then guess what? There's two miracles already happened. Gideon then says again, this is not a mighty warrior, is it? You know, who's confident of himself, who looks in the mirror and says, I am too sexy for words. You know, but he actually says, I am very insecure. 
And he says to the Lord for a third time, you need to prove yourself. And this one I love. And imagine this is the lap we're doing the 5K, the 5K with Gideon. And he's kind of telling us about this story. And then he says, then I tested the Lord again. And he says, I laid a fleece. And the fleece was, God, uh, let it be soaking wet in the morning. And he kind of tests God in two ways. So there's a third and a fourth time. Let it be soaking wet and the ground dry. Let the ground be dry and let that be soaking wet. And he kind of like tries to, you know, make sure that God is totally with him before he can move on. God, I think, just says, yeah, you know, I, I can kind of, you know, spare some energy to this. I want to prove to you that I'm with you, that I want to see my people released. And God, in his grace, answers the tests. A jam-packed chronicle of adventures, of war, of worship, of leadership, of miracles, and also of bad personal choices. So, as we come into land, in just a few moments, what would Gideon say to us on this couch to 5k run? As we imagine, as it tells us in Hebrews 12, 11 and 12, that there's this great crowd of witnesses who are cheering us on from the stands. And they're almost listening to this conversation as we're doing this lap with Gideon. I think he'd say the three W's. W-W-W. I think he would say, a lesson I would impart to you today is worth. Remember at the start of the story, it was the, it was the mirror conversation, wasn't it? How the angel appeared and spoke something into his life. Spoke something into his destiny. And he called him a mighty warrior. Mighty man. I think he said those words because, because we know now reading on that he wasn't in that place to be that mighty man when he first met God. But actually God saw something about his future that Gideon didn't see himself. And I think Gideon would remind us today of just that, of our worth. He would look at us and he would say those good, godly, fatherly truths into us and over us that we just need to hear. That we know those words will unlock something in us give us courage for the future, give us reason to hope, would fill us with such confidence that actually we too could go on and achieve all that he's got for us. My guess is some of us, all of us, are probably not in that place today. Where we feel like we've got everything we need for the future. And these moments of worship and encounter in church are just for that, aren't they? where we hear his voice, we know his leading, we feel uh, a sense of being filled up for what he's got for us. We hear the Father's voice. I think Jesus died to take the worst from us so that God could only ever see the best in us. Does that make sense, that idea and that picture of worth? That actually, as we say yes to Jesus, as we accept that he died for us and that he rose for us, that actually God sees us as Jesus. That's what scripture tells us. That he sees Jesus in us. That he sees us as perfect and blameless. That we too stand in front of the mirror. And we get to stand with pride and with dignity. Knowing that we're loved. And that the Father says incredible things into our souls. Psalm 139. I want to read these words to us today. It gives us confidence that God knows the inner details of your life today. 
The psalmist wrote this. This is David. He said, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. That's quite a frightening thought, isn't it? Because sometimes we wouldn't want to reveal our worst, but God knows. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And sometimes I've kind of said some prayers in my mind and I've thought, God, are you, can you hear that? Do I need to verbalize them? But actually, Scripture tells us God knows our thoughts. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I, if I make my bed in Sheol and the depths of hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and, the, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness has overcome me and the light about me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark for you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. And the last little bit. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes, they saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, my days. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. I think Gideon would say worth. Worth. As we do this lap, as you're out of breath and panting away, no our worth. I think he'd say, go away and study your worth. Jump in scripture, claim it and know it and watch it as it sets your, your path of light going forward. I think he'd also say, where? We know from his story that Gideon definitely weighed up the Lord. I think he'd remind us to leave room, to leave room as we look for the Lord's work in our lives for God to do the miracles. Proverbs 21 says this, prepare the horse for battle, but the victory is the Lord's. And I think Gideon would remind us, do your part, prepare yourself. But also, just in my days, Gideon, as, as God moved, as he showed me through the miracles, ask God to do miracles in your moments. Ask him to turn the mundane into the miraculous. Ask him to do something. Something for, for, for people to, to stare at and to ogle at and to see God at work. Are you asking for God to do the impossible in your life? I think you challenge us as we're doing it. As we're running this race, this couch to 5K. I think you'd say, what's the biggest thing you're praying for right now? What is the biggest thing you're praying for? What's the biggest thing you're believing for that would not happen unless you prayed? Oh, that's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge. Know your worth. Wait up with God. Wait up. And watch him do something. And then also, lastly, I think he'd, he'd give us a warning. Because we know from Gideon's story, just in a couple of chapters, we get to see his explosive rise. We also, unfortunately, hear about at the end, it didn't go well. And, and read this at home, I encourage you. 
But what happened in all of the battles is Gideon then said, I, I want to begin to collect the gold. And what is it about humans? Why do we want to just have lots of shiny things? What is it? Why do we get fixated with things? And he got all these shiny possessions, the gold, and he made something symbolic that ultimately became a focus of worship for the people. And you can imagine as Gideon was alive, he was wrestling and he was saying to people, make sure you keep your focus on the Lord. But ultimately, you know when you do something really well in your life and you look back to that moment, don't you? Uh, perhaps it was an emotion, perhaps it was a success, perhaps you ran a race and you came first, perhaps it was a promotion or a wedding day. Those moments where we become fixated with, that's what happened in the stories as they were fighting the Midianites. Boo. Is, is those battles became a focus of worship for the people. And what happened was they thought, actually, what happened in the day of Gideon, that was when God was truly alive and active. We're going to focus our attention on those moments instead of thinking, God, you can do exactly the same today and tomorrow. It became, the past became a focus of worship. And they began to worship, which is what? It's our time, it's our energy, it's our money. So things that we give our time, energy, money to. That became a focus of worship. And God's presence, after all of that, after he showed his presence so clearly, after he performed miracles, and we know the Israelites, it was up and it was great downs. It was up and it was great down. What an erratic moment in history for a people group. And we know as they focused their worship uh, uh, yet again on the past, that that became their, their place of fixation. So they were no longer worshipping the God of today and what's about to come tomorrow. And the presence of God left them, and they began to idolatrize uh, gold and possessions. How sad. And I wonder, I just wonder, as we come into land today, as a challenge to the church, if Gideon wouldn't remind us and focus our attention of saying, you know, make sure you understand the successes of the past, but also allow them to spur you on to the future which has change and has, has moments of conquering and, and adventure in it. Don't focus on what's been. And I think it reminds us in his warning not to worship, to put our worship in other things. Our worship. What do we put our time and our energy and our resources into? Keeping our eyes as we run the race on the race that's described in the New Testament. Keeping our eyes fixed on the finish line. Knowing that as Jesus has started a work in our lives, he'll also bring it to completion. Worth weighing it up and also warning. A warning not to, to, to put us down, but, all, but to fix our eyes. To dodge the traps that Gideon and the people fell into. Let's focus our minds this morning before the kids come back in in about 30 seconds. God, we thank you for the story of Gideon. That actually... You move in weakness. That it's not about getting ourselves perfect for you to use us. 
But we know from this story that you look at somebody who is the weakest of the weak and you use him to change a nation. And Lord, as we looked at the mirror of our own lives earlier, we could also very honestly identify the greatness that you've put in us and the gifts and, uh, and the energy. But also, Father, we could also just spot the words that we weren't too proud of, that we didn't want to own, we don't want to be labelled by. And so, Lord, right now, as an exercise, we want to just give those parts of our lives to you. The parts that need healing, the parts that we're weakest in. The bits that look ugly and aren't nice and just seem to splurge out. And Jesus, we are so grateful that you died for us. And that as you rose again, that your power was released for all of us. So that we too can become whole. Not fragmented, or broken, or damaged, but actually there's healing available. There's a call in our lives available. We know from that psalm that you know every detail about us. And Lord, I pray today, just in the next few moments, that we would hear your voice. Would you speak to us like you spoke to Gideon? Would you call things out in us? that we've been pushing down for years, or perhaps we've been fantasizing for years about those moments of adventure and becoming the people we want to be. But Father, as you mold us, that we'd live lives for your glory, that we'd be your trophies of grace. Isn't it interesting that it's never about an individual. It's always about the bigger ripple effects. And Father, as we think of Gideon, we thank you that although you changed his life, it was also for others. Lord, I want this room to be filled with people whose lives have been transformed and changed. In our communities, in our workplaces, in the different media forms, in uh, and professions that, that Father, you change us, but also there'd be a ripple effect beyond us. And perhaps, honestly, as we come into land today, perhaps t this is about receiving for you. And perhaps you want to just put your hands out, just as a symbolic act that, Father, I want to know what you say about my life. I want to receive what you have for me. I want to grab hold of all that you've got for me. That you'd help me unwrap this gift over the coming days and months. 
and allow me to live my best life.